0: Imagine you're standing in front of a waterfall. Consumed by its deafening roar and natural beauty, how overwhelmingly small you feel in comparison, you wonder, how can something so terrifying be strikingly beautiful at once? How can this bring me such calming peace yet unsettle me so deeply? Now imagine yourself facing the enormity of a Gothic church. The uncanny nostalgia of walking an old medieval town. The paradoxical connection and isolation that comes with technology. The literal goosebumps you can get from a melody, from a painting. Welcome to the sublime. A fundamentally transformative experience that disrupts order, stability, time, and space. The sublime carries us into the unknown the unrepresentable, into otherness, infinity. My name is Rosario Lebrija Razbetayev, and this is Sublime Art, a podcast that brings you artists from all mediums whose work calls on the sublime. For our very first episode, we feature a remarkable artist whose work has shown across the globe, Rosario Guerrero. Her personified chair sculptures and vibrant abstract paintings have been exhibited from Mexico to Panama, New York to Tokyo. Now, eight decades into a celebrated career, I chose to feature her as our first artist because she was the person who solidified and encouraged my love of art. You see, in its own magical and sublime way, I'm named Rosario after my grandmother. I'm so excited because
1: I am here with my grandmother, Rosario, and I'm actually also called Rosario after her. I'm the fourth Rosario. It's a very normal tradition, actually, in Latin American and Hispanic culture to be called all the same name, like in Gabriel Garcia Marquez's books that they're all called the same. And it's kind of difficult because you you lose the plot sometimes because you forget who's who. But I think um, we've all been very different women and my love for art and my love for beauty and suffering and depicting the human experience comes from having a grandmother that dedicated her life to art and to sculpture. So, thank you so much for agreeing to come onto the episode and for being such an amazing
2: mentor in my life. For being in your life is going to be a big, big prize for me.
1: So let's start at the, at the very beginning, because I think your story is a really interesting one.
2: Which one is the beginning of the beginning?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe when you're a kid, let's start there. Did you always know you were meant to be an artist, or did it come naturally, or was it something that you like, took classes?
2: No, no, no. I was uh, interested in drawing very much, like everybody every kid. And then I start doing portraits and I had so many brothers and sisters that I had always somebody. You
1: have a you have 11 siblings. That's a lot of siblings and you're the oldest sibling. Um but you were always from the stories that I hear from when you were a kid, you were always the creative one. You were always like thinking up things, misbehaving, were-
2: jumping out of the um the um Barda? what is it? Defense. Defense. Literally, <laughs> I took some many of my brothers to do to go to the Misa de Gallo, which is a middle of the night at twelve o'clock, and we live like seven blocks from the church. And for me, I thought it was magical. And then, um, with time, I became more realistic, and it was a challenge. And if there were visitors, my father would say, why don't you do their portrait? So I was drawing from, uh, in a ship, in a cruise that we would take from Veracruz to Spain. It would last like a month or a little less. And I would paint the cook, the workers, uh, with the machines, the, the sailors, the uh, captain. The captain didn't want to pose in, in front of the rest of the peoples. So we did it privately. Oh, that sounds. Uh, how old were you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like 16.
1: <laughs> okay. 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 But you only painted the yeah, captain, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, with you, I never know. I never know. <laughs> no, and I mean, it's so interesting to think about these voyages that you used to take from Mexico to Spain, having Spanish parents, because nowadays, you know, it's much more quicker to get there. But also we have iPads, we have iPhones, we have these, you, you can't uh, get on a plane that is that long without having a TV on it. So actually being in these ships for
2: so long inspired you to... to paint more yes and also to read so i would carry lots of books because i had a lot of time for myself
1: and so you were painting the people and the portraits Uh but what you're very well known for internationally is your incredible sculptures and paintings of chairs eh, rather than people themselves how did you make this transition from people to chairs i'm gonna
2: say what my mother said Dear daughter, you were doing it so well and you ruined yourself. <laughs> what so, do you mean? <laughs> well, because I started to, the, doing, changing the shapes and the people. I didn't care if their resemblance was like that. So I decided to take out the persons and use the chairs as the motif and the principle. And the chairs themselves, they sort of took a life of their own, right? I mean,
1: the, the chairs, I've, I've grown up with these chairs. I mean, sometimes I see chairs and I see people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, did you try to personify the chairs to look like the person that you were trying to portray? Or, like, were they
2: in your imagination? Were they people? No, 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 they weren't people. Well, sometimes, like the one of my mother over there. But usually it was a motif to express myself and what I feel, and use them as a pretext also. I told you, they came to me, (laughs) took out the the other ones, the people, and they become the principals. You mentioned briefly the
1: painting that you have of your mother, um, which I also grew up seeing. Can you describe this chair, this painting, to our listeners who might have never seen the the painting before and what it means to you
2: okay <laughs> uh, it's a painting a big painting with a very matriarchal chair and she used to have uh, beautiful hands so I put one of the hands stylized. you could reckon all the family could recognize so oh, that's her hand and that's it what colors did you use? Lots what techniques? It uh, I I paint most oil on canvas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember like growing up the the smell of of this oil was the smell of you and like sometimes I go to museums and I catch the the smell of the oil and immediately I think of you. That's nice
2: <laughs> to have that link.
1: And so what was the the idea after you stopped Well, you never stopped painting chairs, but then you started to make them into sculptures, right?
2: Yes. No, not so much three-dimensionals, but um, I worked uh, with the iron steel uh, sheets and I cut them and I paint them and put them standing most of the time. And then I mix them with all parts of machine um, or iron machines, spares and... I did a, a big series of, of those they, that they could be outside in the gardens or terraces or inside. Mm-hmm.
1: What was the difference between the the ones on oil and the ones that were made?
2: It was a step, a, a different step. I used to call them sculptures, but I don't know. They were not so three dimensional. Mm-hmm.
1: Well they are three dimensional I mean they are mm-hmm. sculptures in a way and and mm-hmm. you painted them as well right what were you yes. using to paint that
2: automotive mm-hmm. painting but not the one that you put in ovens like cars no
1: and then after you did all of these incredible chairs you had this incredible period of vidas
2: alternativas right well, the chairs began to fade and and in the paintings they became a figure that, for me, was kind of... A, I used to meditate a lot, and it was kind of a, a representation of beings, and uh, the shape of the auras were a little, like, uh, very feminine. So I guess I was starting to do this uh, uh, back... Uh, searching for our goddess and mothers of mothers and mothers and the feminine. So I did this. A lot of people couldn't understand, and I don't like to make all these explanations. I just let them to, to see them, and if they like and find it, they don't.
1: But why do you think people don't uh, react as well to that
2: as, for example, the chairs? Because it's less um, clear for them Mm. or probably some of them reminds them of vaginas
1: (laughs) (laughs) i have heard that one before i have some of those in my house and people do tell me like "Hmm, are those vaginas (laughs) yes
2: (laughs) fields of vaginas yes it is what it is it is is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) this period of your life i mean i find it fascinating i I love all of your work, um, but I particularly love this series of work, the alternative lives, the vidas alternativas, because it's it's so colorful. It's 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 almost like a dream. It's a it's difficult to describe. It's sublime. Thank you. <laughs> T- tell me more about this series. I mean, was it did it start like at a certain period in your life? Was it catalyzed yes. by something? Uh,
2: the big change. uh, When I moved to New York, to live in New York, it was a very special time for me. It was the first time being born in a big, big family with so many brothers and sisters and relatives, and then married and having so many five children. And it was the first time I was going to live alone. So I uh, went to live in New York, and it was a very a special time for learning, to knowing myself in many ways. I had a lot of crises. What am I doing? What <laughs> am I painting? I thought I, I was contracting all the disease, like when you're a child and go to, to the uh, kindergarten and you get paperas, measles miss- <laughs> or something. But after that, after every crisis... Um, You come out alive, and and then it means uh, you become immune to the exposure of so many big vibes in New York, and competition, and it was very nice to experience that suffering sometimes, (laughs) hard, but in the other way, I grew a lot. I... Realize more who I was and uh, what I wanted to do. And this one is, I also started after the Vidas Alternativas, something parallel that become um, also feminine, um, weaving stripes of linen painted with oil and expressing, it's like algorithms, uh, expressing theories or possibilities of different worlds. And it's, um, I did small pieces until I did very, very large pieces. And it kind of uh, remembers the tapestries in different scales.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that connects really well to the vidas alternativas, what you were saying about the feminine and the goddess, because I think there's a really strong tradition of, you know, women weaving and women um, healing, in a way, a lot of society, not only by weaving, but also weaving people back together.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, it was like that. And I spent the last uh, 20 something, (laughs) years, doing that. I'm still doing it. Was it, um, because
1: you say that the the New York time, you sort of suffered through the the paintings, you know, it was... It was a great time. It was a beautiful time. But you, you, And a lot of artists do say this, that I've interviewed, you know, well, great artists do say this, that um, producing one piece, it's kind of like going through like an existential crisis or, you know, this, it's, it's, it's pushing it out in a way. Was the transition to the grid series
2: um, e- easier in a way? Well, the first thing that you start is that you realize You've been growing in this Hispanic and Mexican uh, culture, and then um, you arrive there, and it's very different the way you see yourself, and they see you. It's putting uh, the two nationalities together. I even took some of my paintings from here for not being so alone, and... um, The first thing is my paintings were in centimeters and metros, Mm. and they had pulgadas, feet, inches, and it was starting with that. That was the big difference. So the stretches wouldn't fit because I rolled them up, and, and I left some of them showing the difference where they didn't match the stretcher that it, you, you could see the the folding that you had to go longer instead of cutting the painting, I let it see that it was bigger because it was in another measurement way. It's interesting sometimes when I start showing and going to contests in Mexico City, some people look at me like privileged person, woman, from uh, upper class. And I arrived to New York, and I was being, for almost the very first time, looking down because I was a Mexican and Spaniard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I like the anonymity, to be honest, of New York, of London, of these places where I think Mexican society can be quite small, you know, and I mean, I haven't, gone through this experience, but you were, you know, you were a wife, you were a mother, um, and in your own way, you were an artist. But I can imagine that your art wasn't taken as seriously as it should have been. And that must have been quite painful. But you found ways around it. I mean, I've heard some stories that you'd, you know, sneak out at night and go take some interesting painting classes.
2: Yeah, because um, I had... All my family, my children in the house, and I just, I wanted to do uh, nude, and I hired models. We decided, a friend of mine, Teresa Serrano, which I adore, and she was living close to me, and we. she had a basement, so we went to the basement, and we wanted to do real fast losing the hand to do it so we do markers to, to do these paintings but after a while like an hour everybody was like high because of the markers <laughs> in, in the basement <laughs> that must have produced some interesting paintings well yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but you know despite the stigma of you know, Mexican society and the troubles that you went through as a woman and as a mother and as a wife. Um, you did still participate in national uh, exhibitions, you know, yes, and, and you also won the Bellas Artes uh, oh, contest. Yes. Can, can you tell us about this?
2: Yes. There was one time that when I arrived and brought my humble piece, there was a, a very humble also, the, a mattress but strip out the, the canvas and just the mattress. And um, well, we signed, we put our pieces, and like a month later, my sisters asked, What happened with your contest? They said, The mattress won first prize. <laughs> <laughs> So don't be surprised. <laughs>
1: um, there's one uh, that you won in Bellas Artes that was inspired by Van Gogh, was it? No,
2: uh, there was one in Bellas Artes by Van Gogh because there was an um, official uh, exhibition in honor to him. Well, this piece is a large piece, and it's not in Mexico anymore, and um, it's uh, with colors, and it's a, it's a chair and uh, surrounded with the lilies. What other memorable moments did you have
1: in your career? Because, I mean, you've had an amazing life and an amazing career and so many different parts of it, um, so many different mediums, so many different moments in your life. What has been maybe one highlight? Well,
2: because I was, like, believing all these New Age ideas of humanity is approaching the... um, change of consciousness, and we're going to be incredibly aware. And I decided to do something for the millennium. It was going to be 2000, the next millennium. And what can I do? What can I do? And for me, realizing the consciousness, it was like realizing light. Light was equal to consciousness, awareness. So I went to a special shop of resins and I said, well, how much is it? How do you do it? They said, don't mix this with that because you make an explosion. Be careful (laughs) and don't even have them in an uh, indoor closed environment because the the fumes will mix and it could be very dangerous. I started mixing that thing. I did my experiment and I... Face a lot of mistakes. Everything, putting out of the the mold that I built, and I the, I thought the way I sealed it, it was right. It, it didn't. They leak, so it was very unpredictable to work with the resin with that. And I like it. I like mistakes. There was an American who says, "Why don't you cut them exactly and perfectly?" I said, no, I like to cut them with the scissors that you show that they're, they're not perfect. I like imperfection. <laughs> yes. So these mistakes, it was like people having scars from experiences. And the pieces of resin, they did what they want. They were very well accepted, and I worked those 18 years. Anyway, it, it was tough <laughs> sometimes. <laughs>
1: I mean, and and I think some of our listeners probably haven't seen resin or don't fully understand how it would look with light inside, because sometimes you use color as well, and, you know, it really varies each piece. Just Mm -hmm. like the chairs, you know, each piece is very, very different. What did you put inside
2: them? Well, the possibilities are, as everything in, in art, infinite. But I wanted to use only plastic materials... So I put inside uh, sometimes bubble wrap of different sizes that could let the light go through them.
1: No, it looks beautiful with the bubble wrap because it just has such a different texture. And it's, it's a stunning uh, visual. But then sometimes you would have um,
2: different colors as well rather than just see-through just, resin. Yes, and I did some experiments to have them outside. And they change with the light and the the, the direct sun. See, they change. Probably it's like amber. And I did some explosions (laughs) by accident, and then I did some on purpose. And I did some... Wait, what? Why? (laughs) Yeah, because uh, the, the, the way they burn or bubbles or... It's very interesting. Then I used those pieces that were out of the magma of the volcano. I put them in a resin that was okay and controlled. And, and with the light, it was very interesting. I did pieces like that also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You went from, um, well, we were just talking about uh,
1: vaginas. You went from the alternative lives, which are very much the woman, mm-hmm.
2: to quite phallic pieces. Yeah, I love the idea, the idea of columns. Very phallic in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I had clients for big constructions, for restaurants, but I've been... Maybe unconscious or or very brave, who knows?
1: (laughs) (laughs) A mixture of both, maybe.
2: (laughs) Very satisfactory.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I think it's really interesting that, you know, I think most artists have to be commercial at some points because, you know, you got to (laughs) eat. But um, I always found it fascinating that you never seem to have a problem with uh, making your art into what the client needed, like I remember you made a sink out of the this beautiful resin you know sculpture. No, I mean, I think that's beautiful, and I think there's... But it changed
2: very much. Maybe you were born with a voice, and you study, you exercise, and you become a professional singer. And one thing is to do it for your own pleasure, other than when you get a commission, and involves... At the beginning, when I was doing the portraits, it involves the family, the couch of the house, because they wanted to match the colors <laughs> with the, the design of the the wallpaper and things like that. You always have to, like, accommodate a little. D- did you there. find it uh, difficult
1: to, to find inspiration or creativity for that, like, rather than it coming by itself?
2: No, because I used to, like, quiet myself and let that the peace rebuild itself by itself. And you're the first one to be amazed. This is okay, right? This is being born, all right? Hopefully I'm up to the task of getting it through. (laughs) It's not my merit. (laughs) Something is comes out from the, your unconscious, your higher self. Who knows? But it, it manifests like that, and I was very confident about that. I don't have the, re, uh, the right answer. I, I'm always questioning things, and this was one of the very important questions, the destiny or the free will.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, that's it. It's a
1: question I think all of us ask ourselves so when you left the, the sculptures and when you left the urns, exactly the resin, and you went back to, to the grids, um, did you miss them? Why did you leave them?
2: Well, I leave them because it became toxic physically, and I got ill. Mm. I got cancer. So uh, Was it from the, from the resin? They wouldn't say definitely, But they say, if you want to keep doing it, be careful, but we don't want you uh, around without doing anything. And since you've been successful, you want to do it more, but it will be better for you not to do it, blah, blah, blah. And luckily, I came out very easily out of it. And okay. But I also, there's something else that I've been doing that... Women do a lot, like it's recycling. And, and these big paintings I cut, and I have these pieces that are leftovers. I use them also and put them in small pieces inside of the resin. And so you're still using the resin. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, then... Because they were at the same time they were coexisting, the the paintings and the and the uh, options, yeah. Yeah. So I did those drops and, encapsulated, and also I found little chairs in paper that I left and I forgot that I had them for twenty years, thirty years, I don't know, maybe thirty years, and I had these statues. Of uh, little chairs. And it was easy, very intimate. And I play a lot with these chairs. And I've been doing these little portraits of these ladies, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> these chairs. Yeah, because they are people. I mean, mm-hmm. they have their own personalities, mm-hmm. each one. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. What are they expressing? What are they transmitting to people? I don't know if it's what I want to say. What I want to say is mm, so many things. I, as I told you, they have many lectures. So, like, tell us
1: about one, one of them that tells you about feelings, or one specific one.
2: Like, I'm trying to remember a painter that I liked very much, and as uh, an American painter. She was like so calm in a way like that. Are you familiar with her painting? I don't think so. I need or to look her see up. It? Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I'm really fascinated, if we go a little bit back again, um, with this struggle you had in New York, because I think it's really interesting how that transition happened, because it's it's almost like you, I mean, you were always an artist, but there was a moment where I think people also started to take you seriously as an artist. When was this? When did you feel the shift happen?
2: I had like uh, a, yeah, how to say, like a, family life, but it was also very mixed with my professional life. Like I would take my children to museums to, to see things, to exhibitions that I uh, had an exhibition in Oaxaca, in the Museum of Oaxaca. I took all my children. They were learning the, the culture there. So it was not so separate. What it was the different in, in New York. It was that I was by myself in a big loft, and I, I was a little concerned once I was in my nightgown and I get locked outside, how the hell I'm going to get in again. And also, I was planning to go on top of my scaffolding in, thinking, what if I fell? Why yeah. were you in the scaffolding? Can we because go pivot back? I, I did um, a very large project for... Uh, there's a big painting of Tamayo that is uh, around a uh, um, chimney mouth uh, in the Hotel Presidente. And the, the, this was inside of the um, Cloth of industriales, In Mexico City. Mexico City. And they wanted me to do the other side of the wall. This side was going to be the the side of uh, Tamayo, and it was the the fire uh, that they were going to transport and put it into there. I did a... um, Well, the chairman went to see me in New York. It was a very opinionated person who says, to start with, I hate green. Okay, fine. No green. No, no green. green. Well, at the end, it was, are we going to do this a la limon? Like with somebody mm, bullfighting two at the same time? You, are we going to do it together or I'm going to do it? Because he was giving me so many instructions and so forth. And I don't want a small presentation. I want something that it's important. And the piece was 16 meters. Wow. Long, uh, wide. So... I was climbing in the scaffolding to be able to do that. So I bought a big roll of paper, the size of the... and work in that. And I, I did a project that I liked it. And when I was coming back to Mexico with my project, somebody convinced this person... To, to hire Francisco Toledo which I admire and he's a very good artist incredible to do a painting two meters gray and okay and my I, they pay me not the whole amount but they pay me and I and I could and I said you can keep also your project so I still have it because it's not gonna it's not been easy to so and I forgot. Uh, right now, I'm just remembering that I have the so I was gonna ask, like, where is yeah, this? This uh, is a historical be, painting. Yeah, it, it must be in a box of wooden box uh, in my atelier. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I forgot. Uh, and it's been. It was like Cinderella, not going to the ball. <laughs>
1: But yeah, your studio upstairs is, is incredible, and you, you have so many pieces there that are, um, are still there. You know, you said you've, you've sold so much of it, but actually you have so much still Yes, here.
2: Because uh, I'm very active and productive. Well, at least you're
1: not doing the, the very heavy uh, resin, because that would be that, hard.
2: Uh, and I went through some accidents with that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I, thank God I never lived in. Although one
2: time, one of them did fall through your through, um, the living room. room. Yeah, dining yes, room. The, the window of the dining room, one of the catapult like that. Because in in this time, February and March, there's a lot of winds in Mexico, strong winds. And I was trying to protect the piece from the sun while I was building it in the um, roof and the it was like a sailboat that with the wind took the the a big piece chunk of uh, of wood nobody got hurt miraculously it was it, we were having lunch it, it a miracle nothing happened mm-hmm.
1: yeah i actually i remember perfectly that day i was so young but i remember this like i i wasn't in the dining room with you um, but I looked over. I was my mother was carrying yeah, my we're baby we're sister. Cousins. Yeah, oh and, and uh, it was so amazing, amazing. Not yeah, but know. but one of one of my cousins was actually standing They're there. Standing there,
2: yeah. And some of the glasses went all the way through the other the opposite wall. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but he's a
1: he's an interesting case. He survived a lot of interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, he's gotten hit by a bus. I mean, he oh, has yes. a good guardian angel
2: a <laughs> with a lot of trouble. <laughs> work a lot of work,
1: but a survivor nonetheless. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your studio that you have in this house is is beautiful, and it's looking over the very uh, distinctive, iconic
2: Mexican mountains. Yes. Uh, early in the morning, before the contamination rise up, uh, you can see the volcanoes, the Ista and the pop. And uh, I've, I've used them sometimes uh, as a model, and I paint them sometimes. It's iconic in Mexico. And having that and this jacaranda tree in front of my window in my garden that uh, blooms every year. Like in Japan, the cherries uh, here, the jacarandas, the whole city becomes lavender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean the East Light and the Popo. I mean they they tell a beautiful story, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it goes back to your inspiration of uh, you know prehistoric. Wow, uh, mm-hmm. but aren't they meant to be uh, like a star-crossed lover yes, story? Also, <laughs>
2: also, <laughs> a love story between them. And as every couple they have their the roles, their different roles, which is not more important one than the other. they probably well, what I imagine is the true love they have for each other.
1: Mm-hmm. They balance each other, and I think that's a that's actually a motif that comes throughout your work. You know, this balance between the feminine and the masculine energy. We've talked about both, um, and I think that you know there's there's a there's an interest there in both energies and how we need to kind of make them equal and make the world.
2: I think this is one of the largest talks that I have. <laughs>
1: And but the, I mean, going back to the oil that you use, because that's a preferred medium for you, you also mix it with sand sometimes.
2: Yeah, m- many years ago I used um, thicker layers and I wanted to have textures. So I, I used uh, marble uh, dust or like grinding, and because I wanted to experiment thicker textures,
1: yeah. And what's next for you? Are you going to keep doing the grid series? Are you working on something new? No, no nothing
2: new for the moment. Who knows? You never can tell what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who knows what you're going to channel next? <laughs> yes, I don't know. Well, so far I'm happy working and I'm amused and fulfilled with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thank you so much for welcoming us into your home, into your studio, which is also your Very home
2: <laughs>
1: and sharing all these uh, crazy stories with us of these explosions.
0: <laughs> if you like this episode, please rate, review and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. You can also follow us on Instagram at Sublime Art Podcast. Don't miss our next
2: episode where we explore the sublime with another artist.